So, good morning, happy Sabbath. You know, a few weeks ago, I went out to eat with a couple guys uh, from here, from this church. And I don't think they're here, but as we talked, we had an awesome conversation. I just wanted to get to know them. Um, they're a really big part of the team here. And as we talked, one of them told us a story about their younger years when they were in college. Sure. And after he graduated, he says, he was offered two part-time jobs. Super nice. So one of his jobs was part-time managing a printing press, and the second one was part-time teaching a religion class. And although he studied to be a pastor, he says he wasn't quite confident or sure of what he could teach his class, and a lot of them being his age. Um, so he began his first class, and he said this amazing phrase that has just been playing over and over in my mind. He said this, I have nothing to teach you, but I do have some things to share. So this morning, I'd love to share some things with you. Is that okay? <laughs> so, so you may know my wife and I, Laya, uh, we just recently got back from traveling and visiting uh, her family in Spain and some of Europe. And on our trip, we got to visit quite literally one of the most beautiful locations in the world, at least in my perspective. One of the places that really got to me was Barcelona, where I was just smacked in the face with all the creativity and the architecture and the colors just surrounding the city. We got to see places like La Casa Batlló and La Casa Mila. Um, and these were homes built by an architect and an artist, really, named Anthony Gaudí, who's also known for the construction of La Basilica de la, Casa, uh, de la Sagrada Familia, here, or the Basilica of the Holy Family. Now, Gaudí, I love quotes, and Gaudí says these quotes that align with his thought process, and I've started to adapt them to my thought process and the way that he creates. He says, but man does not create, he discovers. He also says this, those who look for the laws of nature as a support for their new works collaborates with the creator. And about the Sagrada Familia, he says, in the Sagrada Familia, everything is providential. If you know anything about the history behind this design, it may fascinate you that when Gaudi took over as lead architect for this building, for this basilica, he was only 30 years old. And by the time he died, when he passed away, it's said that it was only about 25% of the way done. And when asked, why is this construction taking so long? He said this, my client is not in a hurry. <laughs> so good. So you can say that this part of the world really impacted me. And when we got back, I found myself feeling a little bit empty, unmotivated. I was having withdrawals. <laughs> um, you know, really what ran through my mind is like, we're here in America, we're constantly on the go. 
We have terms here like burnout. We're in the land of burnout, right? But I realized that I had been living in a space surrounded by so much, all this beauty, and I didn't see it anymore. And so, like one of my favorite speakers, and I call him my mentor because I watch him all the time online. His name is Erwin Maddox. He says, I had to realign my thoughts and my gratitude. And he says this, that where you don't find beauty, you have to create beauty. Now, I was originally originally asked to speak on a different topic uh, and one of the other fruits of the Spirit. But because of our trip, we weren't going to be around. And so Pastor Steve so graciously uh, agreed to switch with me. And today's topic has really taken me on quite a journey. Faithfulness. There's so many angles and different takes that we can talk about when it comes to faithfulness. And at first it seemed right to talk about resilience. After all, the Bible says, for the righteous person falls seven times and gets back up again. But the wicked stumble in time of disaster. Resilience, faithfulness, right? The thing is that there's still a lot missing there for me, and I couldn't really get the ball rolling. And so the other day I was listening to a conversation with Simon Sinek. And if you don't know who he is, I recommend looking him up. He's, he's amazing. And in this conversation, he's being interviewed, and he speaks on something that I think is a pretty good analogy and pretty good starting point when it comes to faithfulness. So check this out. Here's what he says. Do you love your wife? Naturally, you say, yeah, of course. He says, prove it. What's the metric? Because when you met her, you didn't love her. But now you love her. Tell me the day that love happened. It's an impossible question to answer, but it's not that it doesn't exist. It's just that it's easier to prove over time. It's like going to the gym. You work out, you come back, you look in the mirror, and what do you see? Nothing. You go again, you work out, you sweat, you come back, you look in the mirror, what do you see? Nothing. So you quit, right? Or if you fundamentally believe that this is the right course of action and you stick with it, like in a relationship, you say, I bought her flowers, and I said happy birthday, and she doesn't love me. So you quit, right? But that's not how it works. If you believe that there's something there and you commit yourself to an act of service or to the exercise, and you stick to it consistently, I'm not exactly sure what day, but I know that you'll, get, you'll start getting into shape. And the same goes with the relationship. It's not about the events. It's about the intensity. It's about the consistency. He says, she didn't fall in love with you because uh, she didn't fall in love with you because you remembered her birthday and bought her flowers on Valentine's Day. No. She fell in love with you because when you woke up in the morning, you said good morning before you did anything else. She fell in love with you because when you woke up, uh, sorry, when you went and got yourself a drink, you came back with one for her too. She fell in love with you because when you had an amazing day and she came home, 
She came home and had a horrible day. You didn't say, yeah, 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 but let me tell you about my amazing day. You sat there and listened to her awful day and didn't say a thing about your amazing day. This is why she fell in love with you. I can't tell you the exact day, and there's no particular thing that you did. It was the accumulation of all those little things that she woke up, and it's as if she pressed a button and said, I love him. Now, isn't that an awesome description of faithfulness? I would go as far as saying, God's faithfulness. He loves you so much that he's willing to go the extra mile every time, consistently pursuing you. And I think this is a good start in understanding the significance of faithfulness and even more God's faithfulness. So in just about a month here, my wife and I will be celebrating something, uh, maybe you won't believe me, but we'll be celebrating our first year of marriage. It's a long time, huh? It's been quite a year. But in this year, we've learned a number of things. And people love to ask, how's the married life? And I think I have a pretty good answer. I say, we're learning to share. How many can relate? <laughs> we're very, two very different people with two very crazy families, two amazing families. with two very different ways of doing things. So we started to realize that this marriage thing is not exactly rainbows and butterflies, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? Now, pretty soon, we found ourselves clashing a little bit. And like Lyra puts it, we're not arguing well. And so many of you may know uh, my wife, Lyra, is in the mental health profession. And so naturally, it allows me to read some of her books and get some of the crumbs of knowledge she has. But anyways, she quickly suggested very early on that we do couples therapy. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Immediately, my mind goes into crisis mode. I'm like, what did I do? Is this how it starts? Is this how it ends? Dramatic. <laughs> so I agree, and we meet our therapist and let her know what's going on. And she tells us, guys, relax, relax. You need to open up and realize that it's not all about just me. It's not about you against her or her against you. It's about us against the world. All right, she didn't say that part, but she did say it's us against the problem, all right? You see, we had this idea of marriage that completely disrupted the way we've been doing life in this season. So we've been on a journey of learning and unlearning and redefining our love and what that actually means and to really love each other until death do us part. And the same is true when we talk about God. What we think about God matters. Our image, our view of God has a direct effect on how we live our lives. And the awesome thing is that he opens it up for us to call on him when we need, 
You see it in the scene of the burning bush. Moses asks God, what do we call you? And God says, I am. He says, I'm just going to give you that first part. So whatever you need me to be at the end, you put it in the end. And I will covenant, I promise, to be that. So how do you get there? Let's take a moment to get to know the character. Right, I think we, we should take a moment to get to know the character of God. And hopefully this will blow your minds like it did to me. Or maybe just give you a little bit of a different perspective. So we come to this story in Exodus where Moses is on the mountain. He's interceding for the land of Israel. Right? And he cries out to God and he says, God, show me your glory. And God says, Moses, I can't show you my glory. You'll die. But here's what I'll do. I'll tell you my name. So in Exodus 34, 6 and 7, it's God's self-revelation. Right? It's, God's, it's God telling us who he is. And in these verses, there are 13 attributes. But I'm only going to talk about two. I'm focused on the two. And it's important to know that in Hebrew, a name, a person's name, expresses their nature and their very essence. Uh, my wife, Laya, has a very interesting name. Right? And surprisingly, not too many people ask what your name means, right? Or at least not when I'm around. How many of you guys know the, def- the, the, the meaning behind your name? No? So, Laya, if you know Laya, you'll realize that the meaning behind her name really expresses her nature and her essence. The name Laya means one who speaks well or well-spoken. And if you know Laya, that's definitely her. That really defines her. So in Exodus 34, 6, it says this. I'm not sure if you guys can put it up or you guys can listen or look it up with me. Exodus 34, 6. And I'm reading from NIV. It says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So I want to focus on those last two very specific attributes to God's name, to his nature, to his character, abounding in love and faithfulness. And it's interesting to note that out of those, out of the attributes in, in, these, in these two verses, six and seven, these two, love and faithfulness, are joined together. But let's start with love. <clears throat> And I know my wife spoke on this a couple of Sabbaths ago, so I just want to build a little bit on that. So one of the Hebrew words for love is hesed, or it should be pronounced chesed, which is actually a difficult word to translate in English, thus the many translations. That is because there's a range of meanings for hesed, but it literally means love 
but it does not stop at love. Hesed is by far one of the most important concepts in Jewish thought and history. And one ancient Jewish rabbi said this, the whole foundation of the world is built on three things. The Torah, which is the word of God. Avodah, which is the worship of God. And Hesed, the love of God. For Jewish thought, they saw the concept of hesed as fundamental to their faith. It is by far the most influential of all the divine qualities that we see in Exodus 34. One theologian, John Oswald, said this about hesed. Hesed is a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. Author Louis Tverberg says, Hesed is not just a feeling, but an action. It intervenes on behalf, of lo- on behalf of loved ones and comes to their rescue. In Isaiah 54, you see the prophet Isaiah writes, Though the mountains be shaking and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing hesed, for you will not be shaken. Hesed is never merely an abstract feeling of goodwill, but always entails practical action on behalf of another. This is the way that author Dr. Wilkins explains it. So Hesed is not a romantic, infatuation kind of love. It is a faithful, reliable love. It's loyal, and Hesed is love put to action. And most importantly, Hesed is the unfailing love that God has for you. And this is a strengthening truth, a reliable foundation. And as Pastor uh, Rick Warren said, God's love is like an ocean. You can see its beginning, but never its end. So my wife and I, we host a Bible study on, on Wednesday nights. And we love to create spaces, right? So we love to create beautiful spaces and environments. So we set up a super cozy, uh, a cozy space where people can come and sit back, take their shoes off, and realize that they're in a safe space. And honestly, these Bible studies quickly turn into therapy sessions, right? <laughs> There's so many people hurting. And one phrase came up recently as someone shared. It was this. God never promised it would be easy, but he did promise we would never be alone. He promised he'd see you through it. And many of you today might be going through all kinds of brokenness, but just know that within, in the middle of that brokenness, is a God who says, great is my unfailing love, for you. And this is one of the truest things there is to know about God. He's abounding, spilling over, way past capacity in Hesed. So the same is true for Emet, or faithfulness. And some translations might say for this verse, uh, abundant in loving kindness and truth. So truth. This word emet literally means truth. It comes from a verb, aman, that means to support 
or make firm. And it expresses the image of strong arms of a parent supporting a helpless infant. This is where we also get amen, right? Which is what we use to agree or affirm. So in Hebrew, the word for truth, emet, consists of three letters. Aleph, mem, and tav. And why I like to speak on these little fun facts is because it's, this is crazy. And I hope it really does blow your mind. Aleph is the very first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Mem is the middlemost letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And Tav is the very last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It spells Amet. Indicating that truth, his faithfulness, this truth encompasses all things and endures from the beginning to the end. And this really emphasizes God's faithfulness from beginning through all the way to the end. But something crazy happens. When we remove Aleph from this word, we're left with Met instead of Emet. So Met is the opposite of life. Met is death. So the letter Aleph is the ineffable letter that represents oneness and preeminent glory of God. Therefore, if we attempt to ignore or suppress God in our understanding of truth, we end up with death. Now, when we put hesed and emet together, abounding in love and faithfulness, this is called a hendiadis. And all that means is that these two nouns have been smashed together to help define each other. And here's the best part. What this is telling us, and this is the punchline, it's everything I've been rambling about this morning. Here it is. God's love is his faithfulness, and his faithfulness is his love. We see it in John 1.14, where John says about Jesus, he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. All right? He's using picture from Exodus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of love and faithfulness. Some versions say full of grace and truth. Some might argue that John is actually quoting from Exodus 34. And it all gets lost in translation from Hebrew to Greek in the New Testament and then to English. But what John is saying is that Jesus is the embodiment of hesed and emet. So there's a story of a man who worked as a missionary in Tanzania with the Maasai tribe. He went through a season of doubt. He struggled with the existence of God. He wasn't sure if he believed in God anymore. He didn't know who to turn to, so in desperation, he went to one of the elders of the tribe, one of his converts. 
and asked if he could talk to him. And he told him, I'm struggling with my faith. And so the elder replies to him, he said, you know, when you got here all those years ago, you would tell us we needed to believe in God. And the thing is that we understand that you were still learning the language, but the word for believe that you were using was accept. We need to accept God. But that word accept is the word that we use to describe white hunters when they come and hunt and kill their prey. You see, the way that these hunters do it is they don't really have any contact with their prey. They might not even see it that well. They hunt them down, and then when they're a ways away, they lift up their rifle, pull the trigger, and that's it. So the elder continues and says, but the more I've learned about the gospel and the more I've realized that to believe in God, it's not like that hunter at all. It's like a lion who's pursuing his prey. You see, when a lion stalks his prey, he longs for it. He yearns for it. And for days, he tracks his prey. His nostrils filled with the scent and the longing for it. And finally, when the moment comes where the lion sees his prey, he leaps over the tall grass. And with every fiber of his body, he comes out, grabs the prey, and brings the prey to himself. And after a moment of silence, the elder continues. He says, the closer... that is closer to what it means to believe in God. And the more I know Jesus, the more I realize that he is the lion and we are the prey. And that's our story, right? Like that lion. God pursues us and pursues us and we run and run and when we come to a moment of desperation and we allow him in, he sees us and he leaps out and brings us unto himself and consumes us with his hesed and his emmet. And he's faithful from beginning to end. God's love is his faithfulness and his faithfulness is his love.